The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. My name is Joel Penfield. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Joining me tonight is Jared Perkins from Prospects Live, Major League University, and uh, Royals Farm Report, one of our main writers over there. How's it going, Jared? Good. How are you doing? I did a lot of college baseball coverage, so I got a little bit of distraction from the Royals, but ready to get back. I was locked into regionals in the Women's College World Series over the last week, so that's been my focus. Obviously, still paid attention to the Big League Club for the purposes of this show, but I had to had to take a break from watching a team that's eighteen and thirty seven at, at this point. I just I'm not going to put myself through that day in day out. I just good, you, good for you your mental health. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that, the last, so you're a two time guest on the show. The last time we had you on, uh, it was you, me, and Austin Byler uh, from Major League University, the founder of the organization. Uh, we had a conversation uh, about baseball, mental health, and all of that. Uh, that that is one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded of the hundreds of podcast episodes that I've ever done. Tuck, if you wouldn't mind uh, putting that episode and linking it in the description, if you haven't listened to that yet, please do. Uh, it was it was an incredible conversation, and hope that uh, we can get that done for you guys, and hopefully you guys uh, were able to listen to it if you haven't heard it already. This show also is brought to you by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning, as always, and uh, we'll hear a quick word from them here in just a moment. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go, and the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page, you know, we can write a program based off of 
what a kid needs, not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense. It's what does this kid need? On the pitching end, we can say, hey, this kid needs such and such. He needs to do this or that better. A lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound. It actually needs to be fixed in the weight room. Thank you, as always, to Kansas City Strength and Conditioning for sponsoring this show. Be sure to go check them out if you have a baseball or softball player in the area that needs a place to train. All right, Jared, so we'll do a little of the last week for the Royals. Uh, they played two tough series. I mean, it is uh, this team is not good. We'll, we'll just call a spade a spade. But playing the Astros and the Blue Jays back-to-back, even on a home stand, that's not easy. They're able to sneak out wins in each one. So they didn't get swept. So if we want to try and find any sort of positivity, I think there's that. Uh, 6-0 win on the Saturday game against Houston, and then 8-4 win in the day game, uh, getaway day Wednesday uh, at Coffin Stadium on Wednesday against the Blue Jays. So uh, what were some of your overall thoughts from anything that you saw over the last week, if you were able to see much? I know you were locked into the uh, the College Park Regional there at, out in Maryland, but what, what have you thought about the last week for the Royals? Yeah, I think the the two wins that they got, at least, it was nice to see Chris Bubik come back up to the big leagues, bounce back, uh, throw five innings, no runs, uh, three walks. Um, so it was good to see him come back up and have some flash some of his dominance as he's had before. And same thing with Brady Singer. Uh, he struggled a little bit, gave up three earned, um, eight hits against the Blue Jays, but that's a high powered uh blue jays offense so oh, you yeah. can't like really fault him there for giving up three or and that lo- lineup's just absolutely loaded um but there's some positivities seeing these arms come back up from triple a uh starting to show them flash some dominance that they didn't necessarily have at the beginning of the year so you kind of hold your breath and hope that that keeps rolling yeah definitely it was interesting to watch chris bubich i went back and watched his start the next day uh, and just seeing the the fastball usage, it was down from what we've seen. He was throwing yeah. north of 50% of the time uh, from his time prior to his demotion down to Omaha. And now it, he was throwing a slider a little bit more. He was working in the changeup uh, more and throwing his fastball less. It seemed to be a little more effective. The control and command is still not spectacular with the three walks, but we've seen him not get out of first innings and the command completely fail him. So that didn't seem to be the case. So for him to get through five shutout as well, that is certainly a sign of good things to come. I didn't think Brady Singer had his best stuff yesterday, but if you really want to try and spin this a little bit, those types of outings, if you watch the game at all, if for anybody to watch it on the YouTube broadcast, there were some innings where he was giving up some dink and dunk hits that just barely got through the shift or uh, in the fifth inning specifically, a ball kind of fell between uh, Witt, Nicky, and Carlos uh, Santana in shallow right field. Those types of hits and those types of things for Brady Singer, those often he those mistakes compound, and yeah. he's not able to get out of an inning. But he was able to get a strikeout and a flyout to end that fifth inning, right right after that hit. I don't think last year Brady Singer gets out of that inning clean, and is only gives up three runs. So if there is any sort of positive you can really take away on a day when he really didn't have his best stuff most of the day, he the mental side for him seems to really be clicking. Yeah, and being able to keep his emotions in check because he is a very he's a highly emotional guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. There are pitchers that are able to use that effectively, so it seems like he's being able to channel that a lot better, which is leading to better results, even when he doesn't have his A plus stuff. 
Yeah. And I think that's a, a huge positive because you think about it in terms of just emotions in general, like how are, you can have those emotional reactions, but how are you going to use them to your advantage? And I think he's finding ways to better himself on the mound and his mound presence, um, which is great in terms of pitchability and things like that. And it's just, I, you watch the fastball command. It's, it's, elite or not elite but it's getting so much better he just is able to pinpoint his fastball in the zone where he needs to he's got his third pitch in the changeup, um which keeps hitters off balance and he's got his nice put away slider and so if those things can keep developing at his young age like there's potential to be a number three starter there number two starter at the best um so you like to see those things moving forward and hope he keeps kind of progressing on them yeah i i didn't realize it but he it happened last year too, even though he wasn't spectacular. And even this year where he's been really solid, he has the highest called strike percentage in the major leagues. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of that is due to the the run that he gets on his fastball, able to yeah. couple that with the slider. And he got some ugly swings on the slider yeah. early. And some of that is, even though he's not throwing his changeup a lot, people have seen like the shape of it. That's actually a really good pitch. So guys are having to think about it now when they're in the box, that like, could he go to this one, one, and then he does, and he breaks off the slider, and he's getting a swing in the ball that's in the other batter's yep. box. Yeah. So even just the thought of having that third pitch there, that wasn't there last year. It was a 50-50 guess, and guys would hammer it mm-hmm. because they could just get their ace swing off because they knew they would hit one or the other. They didn't have that this past. They had, haven't had that this year, and Brady Singer's been a lot of a lot more effective. Funny how that works, being able to actually have an effective third yeah. pitch as a starter. What a concept. On the hitting side, Bobby has really struggled the last week or so. I think he was in the middle of a two for 24 coming into Wednesday. And then he gets a walk, two knocks, scorched the ball. And even during that stretch where he wasn't hitting the ball well, he would still have once every couple of games the ball that was 105 or higher. I think in that the first game of that Blue Jays series had a line out to left, ball hit about 113 miles an hour. So he's still getting his ace swings off. Yeah, Those results will come as he continues to progress. He put together some great at-bats yesterday. I think we're seeing the effects of Alex Zumwalt and Mike Tozar as the hitting coaches really start to, to form. Guys are putting together a lot better at-bats just yeah. on the whole. not we're, we're not seeing it you know, compound in the lineup where one through nine are putting together all – but you'll see it throughout the game that even Salvi at times, he's not swinging at the high fastball the guys are giving him 1-0 or 0-1. You know, he, he's still going to swing a lot. That's just what he does. But I noticed he laid off some pitches that in the past he swung out a lot. Yeah. You you still see, like, the Royals had four walks in the first inning against Yusei Kikuchi. Now, Kikuchi was all over the place. But how often have we seen guys, the Royals bail out guys that aren't, you know, that are all over the place, but they're still swinging? That wasn't the case. They were able to chase a guy in the first inning and get a couple of runs off him that's signs of improvement and I'll take that right now. We don't have a lot of positive stuff to really look to, but little things like that, it seems like are trending in the right direction, if nothing else. Yeah. And, and I understand that Royals fans really want Bobby Wood Jr. to be the superstar right off the bat, but you got to remember, he's like a 20, 21 year old hitting in the three hole. Like mm-hmm. this is his first year of professional baseball. And so you want to see incremental improvements. Like he has been, he's going to go through his slumps as he tries to get adjusted to the big leagues. But unless you see kind of in terms of like a Jared clinic that we talked about before the show um, where he had to get sent back down to triple a, the strikeout rates are super high and things like that, but you're seeing incremental improvements in terms of Bobby Wood jr's game. The defense, of course, amazing, brilliant, but, but those are the things you want to see in a rookie. You want to see those movements forward. And I think we're seeing it. And I think Royals fans got to unfortunately just have to be patient with a kid who's just making his first year in the, in the show. Yeah. And I, the, 
And I'll give some credit here where I haven't given a lot of credit this season, but the Wednesday game, Carlos Santana went four for four with a walk, got on all five times. And I know like there's a certain part of Royals fans that are like good for him, but also crap. That means Vinny's stuck in AAA for another two weeks because Carlos Santana just bought him some more time in the lineup. But that said, like the Royals have talked about, they want to try and bump his trade value. Like yeah. if, that, if that's really what they want to do, I don't think the Royals, have, let me backtrack. I don't think the Royals have outright said that, but I think that's what they're waiting on. It's almost like Jorge Soler last year. Like yeah. he was one of the worst hitters in baseball, but he had a 10 day stretch where he got hot. They're able to trade him. I don't, I'm not going to say that Carl Santana can go on that type of stretch, but if he can string together a few of those games a week, the easier it would be for a team that is like, eh, sure. Why not? And go get a veteran presence uh, for a contending team that Carl Santana could provide as a bench bat of some sort. Um, but you need, at, at this point, Vinny and Carl Santana cannot coexist in the same lineup. So one has to give, and it really is Carl Santana either being let go or traded before a guy like Vinny or Nick Prado can come up. So you, as a Royals fan, you want Carl Santana to play well right now because a team will be more willing to take him on and yeah. maybe a change of scenery helps him. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's hard because you look at the amount of money the Royals are paying him. It's kind of like the Omar Infante situation that they had a few years ago yep. where he's making, what, $10 million a year, and he's not performing and producing up to the level that he used to. And it's it's not necessarily Carlos Santana's fault. It's his age. I mean, he's just getting older. It, he can't catch up to the fastball like he used to be able to. He's still getting on base, and he's still walking, and he's still trying to be productive in that sense. But as you get older, the – you all of a sudden can't read the ball as much as well as you could when you were 10 years younger. So there's some of that coming into play as well. Oh, certainly. And I mean, it's, it it is really tough watching this team at times. I mean, the first two games of the blue Jays series, it felt like there was no life at all. I'm not going to say that they quit on, you know, Mike Matheny and the new organization, but it's certainly, it, it was hard to watch. So it was good to see them find a way to get out of that series with a win and put up a lot of runs against a, a solid team that, I think it's going to be in October. I was really high on the Blue Jays coming into the yeah. season, and really to and also on that Saturday game to get no damage out of Vlad. I think that was a big a big deal because he hit a couple of bombs early in the series. So adjustments all around. At least uh, it, there's going to be a ton of growing pains. Yeah. We're going to watch a lot of bad baseball. So I understand that you're probably listening to this thinking I'm grasping at straws, but I don't need to come on here for four months and just trash the team and feel terrible yeah. about where we're at. Like it's just not worth it. Now they're playing the Orioles. They're the first game of four gamer as we're recording right now. I hate that at this point, we're just like, just, just split, please. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like even that isn't an easy ask, but already feel, down I, one, nothing. So yeah, that helps. I, the fact that like that, that's kind of where we're at at this season. If the Royals get a split with the Baltimore Orioles, I'm feeling really good going into next Monday. The Baltimore, Baltimore Orioles are throwing out Jordan Lyles right now. So that's that's where you got to think still about in the league. Yeah, he's he's there. He's hanging around. Oh, boy. Um, but at least Chris Bubik's on the mound. He seems to be throwing pretty well coming into the third. But that's you never thought when you started the season that we'd be just wishing for a split with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, but here we are. And hey, you just got to hope for the best. I mean, I remember last year coming out of the All-Star break and the Royals were not playing great, but we thought, oh, they get the Orioles right out. Perfect. And they got swept. Yeah. So yeah. It, it would not shock me if if they still managed to lose three out of four at home in this one. But if they can get a split, at least that, that gets them to 20 wins on the year, uh, the beginning of June. Progress. And, 
Right. <laughs> it's something, man. We got to take our W's where we can get them. They're on pace yeah. for 100 losses, over 100 losses. So any win at this point is just we're, we're all feeling good. To, Royals fans really want the young guys to come up. I do. Alex does. Josh does. You do. And there's so many of them that it feels like we have – and kind of the argument is, well, where are you going to put all of them? And I I think there's a great place to put all – like the, I think there are certainly ways you could do it. And a lot of it is going to come when roster moves are made. Like I think eventually when either Carl Santana is let go or uh, traded, then there's a spot. When Ryan O'Hearn, who hasn't played in I think like a week, is eventually let go – then you have an opportunity when Andrew Benintendi should get traded because he's playing really well. There's an opportunity there. I would love, I think there's going to be a time later this year where they're going to have Prado and Vinny up at the same time. You're going to have Prado and left with Isbell and I don't know, pick a right fielder. You got maybe Oliveris if he's healthy. Yeah. Maybe Oliveris if he's healthy, but even then like you could put MJ out there. He's played out there and he's been serviceable. You still have, you know, a third base. You could throw Bobby. You could throw, uh, you could throw Bobby at third if you want to put him there. You got Nicky. You can put uh, Whit Merrifield at second if you want to keep the stupid consecutive game streak going. Salvi behind the plate and Vinny at first base. And that would, I think, get at least fans go. That it may not be the greatest lineup on the planet. They may not. They they it may lose every game, but at least fans will go. Hey, they're giving these guys the opportunity. And I think that's what we all want right now is just to see these guys get the opportunity and there are places and times to do it. And it's going to happen. It should at least. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because I think everybody thinks about trading with Merrifield at the trade deadline and it's not happening. No, but even if they don't, then you just look at the way Nicky Lopez is performing. Yes. He's great defensively, but he's hitting 216 on the season. You can slide with Merrifield into second base. You can open up spots for Isbel Oliveras and Prado to play out there and have that as your starting outfield. So even if Whit Merrifield sticks around, I mean, you got a spot for him at second base. It's not like you're blocking anybody by putting him there. And so there's an opportunity to put him into the infield and maybe make platoon Nicky Lopez at third base with Emmanuel Rivera. I mean, there's an opportunity there because you're not going to see Mondesi back this year in order to force Bobby Witt Jr. back to third base. So you got the, you got the spots. You just got to find uh, ways to get them up. Yeah. And I, I hope that, I hope that they still find a way to do that. Yeah. I, I'm not going to have, get my hopes up to be honest, because this front office seems hell bent on keeping what they have is their nucleus together, which isn't winning baseball. It's clearly not working. So I, as I've talked about ad nauseum for most of the season is make changes where you can and just do something different. And maybe it'll lead to more wins. Yeah. I have contended all year. The best Royals team this year is getting all of the young guys up and putting them in the lineup because they are better than some of the veterans you've been running out there all season. And for the last two years, they're just better baseball players. I know they're getting their feet wet in the big leagues. I don't care. They're yeah. better baseball players. And if you really want to try and be good in two years, getting these guys at bats now is going to be a benefit to them. Yeah. And I agree. And it's like, I, I love having Michael A. Taylor out in center field. He's great defensively and he's producing enough in terms of the bat. But it's like, when you have a guy like Michael A. Taylor, you want him hitting eighth or ninth every single day. And you want to have guys around him who are going to produce in the lineup. When you, If you expect a lot of offense out of Michael A. Taylor, you're not going to get it. And so like, he's a great piece to have if you have pieces around him. 
but they don't have anything around him in order to kind of be able to be like, okay, we can have him in the bottom of our lineup. Right now, they just don't have those pieces. Yeah, so speaking of trade candidates, Andrew Benintendi is the obvious one, yeah. and he's already been getting floated around as he should. Uh, I wouldn't want to make a trade with the Padres, but it, making a move would be very obvious for Andrew Benintendi. Michael and Taylor could be a sneaky trade candidate. Yeah. A team that's desperate for a fourth outfielder could get him and they and he could actually have a really good impact on a playoff team. Yeah. He has a his weighted runs created plus weighted runs created plus right now was 114. And that's after coming off the COVID IL. He has hit the ball really, really well. Mm-hmm. And and they had a Royals had a game earlier this week where they had two hits. He was both of them. And he, he they also had a walk, and he was the only walk. He was the only dude that got on base. He's putting together solid at bats. He's doubled his walk rate. He's cut his strikeout rate from last year and still playing a great center field. And yep. he has another year of control. So a team that is that really wants to solidify their bench or somebody gets hurt and you really need a, a good defensive center fielder in a pinch, Michael Taylor is a perfect candidate for that. But because yeah. of the extra year tagged on him, I don't think the Royals do it because it'd be, just be too logical, frankly, to make a trade for Michael A. Taylor. But he's a guy that certainly would have value come July 31st. Yeah, and if you can get like a top 15 prospect for him somehow, I mean, it just it makes sense. But it depends on how desperate a team is. If it if it's like a yeah. if it's like a Ronald Acuna situation where their starting center fielder is out and done for the year and they just need somebody, certainly you could probably get a team to to overpay for it. I'm not gonna expect a ton of return, just no. any return for him would be huge. I will expect a nice return for Andrew Benintendi. Yeah. Especially if you can pair him with like a reliever. That's what I they, was thinking. They just like could... So they just left town, but the Blue Jays need a left field, a, a good left fielder. Lotus Gurriel has not been that fantastic this year. Rinald Tapia's, I mean, I know he had a ball out into the fountains, but he's not amazing. I think that could be somebody that you go and you could trade him to the Blue Jays. I would go and try and pair Andrew Manatendi with one of Stalmon or Barlow and try and go get Jordan Groshans and maybe like a CJ Van Eyck if you can get a team to really get them to really pay up if they're that desperate and we'll call it profit and go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like because I don't think the Blue Jays are going to part with Gabriel Moreno or Elvis Martinez. I think those two guys are going to kind of stick around. We talked, you mentioned the Padres earlier. It's like, are they really going to part with C.J. Abrams or Robert Hassel to get Andrew Benintendi? Jackson Merrill is the guy that Alex and I have talked about. And yeah. I would be cool with that. But like, so here's the thing: is if you the Royals do want to be competitive, they they think that they are the window is is not obviously not this year, but it's coming close. Jordan Groshans is in AAA and killing it yeah. right now. That yeah. that could be your third baseman next year. Mm-hmm. Your or hell, you drink the trade in on August. Fifth, all right, dude, let's go. Yeah, and come on up to the big leagues and be your the everyday third baseman. And then you have the left side of your infield locked down for the next six years. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Groshans, he kind of flew under the radar and dropped in prospect ratings because he had a bad year last year. But like you said, he's off to a hot start this year and he could provide some value. Uh, one guy I have a question on for you is trade value is what do you think about Hunter Dozier? Do you think he's got some value or do you think the Royals even try to move on after signing that extension? I don't think the Royals try to move on after the extent after signing him to that extension. You certainly could trade that contract. Yeah. It's not it's not expensive at all. Yeah. But I mean, where do you put him defensively? 
Because mm-hmm. I don't think teams are going to trade for him as a DH. He's yeah. not good at third. He's not good at first. He's not good at right in right. Like, I don't know where you put him. And he's I, like and a I roster like, clog. Yeah, he is. And the thing is, he's actually been decent this year. So mm-hmm. I, it's not like you're trading for a bad guy. But I don't think the Royals try and move him. He's already, I think he's 30. So yeah. you're not trading for a young guy with, that you can, you know, with some upside that you can go. I think he is who he is. And I just don't know. I don't know what value he would have outside the Royals. It's kind of the same thing with what Merrifield. Yeah. I, I think the Royals value both of those guys more than other teams value them. Yeah. Yeah. I You're agree. not going to get the type of prospect haul back that the Royals would want. So I don't think that move would ever happen. Yeah. Cause you think about the times that talked about trading Whit Merrifield in the past, the, the ask was super high. And that's why a lot of teams were just like, no, we're not even going to meet it. The Royals, the Mariners, in like his peak. The Mariners really wanted him at the deadline mm-hmm. last year, but the Royals asked for the moon. And I could yeah. probably think of the guys that they asked for. It wasn't George happen. Kirby. <laughs> probably asked for Kirby. I bet they asked for, uh, what's the guy's name? Not Austin Shenton. There's another outfielder. I can't think oh, of his name, but not Julio Rodriguez. Not Julio. Uh, kid played at AM. Oh, Zach Deloach. Yes, Deloach. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And it's just like at this point, his value is lower than it is this year. So you, are they going to get the value that they want back in return from this year? I don't know. But well, how many years left does Merrifield have on his contract? I think this is the last year. I think they picked up his option for next year. Okay. I think, and then there's a, yeah, I think it's next year. And then uh, there's like a really expensive option in 24. So if nothing else, I think next year is the last year with Merrifield. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I feel like a team would be easily interested in taking on Merrifield for a playoff run, but that might be, I know he struggled to begin the year, but he's really gotten turned it around in the last few games. And so it's just like, I feel like there's enough talent there that some team would be like, but will the Royals actually part with? I him? hope that the thing is just for Whit Merrifield's sake. And he's been one of my favorite players in yeah, the organization since he came up. I like, there is something to the Bobby Witt juniors of the world that can just wake up, roll out of bed and rake. Yeah. There is something to the guys like what Merrifield uh, who have to grind for every at bat and every yeah. opportunity to make it to the big leagues and take six years in the minors as a college senior to get up and have his opportunity and then turn himself into an all-star. Like th- those are the types of dudes that I, as a baseball fan and like romantic of the game that I have, uh, I have a lot of respect for yeah. and some of my favorite players ever are guys like that. But I want him to go and play playoff baseball before his career is over. Yeah, and so that'd be I awesome. Want, yeah, I mean, he's been on horrendous baseball teams his entire career. Mm-hmm. Because by the time he had really solidified himself as a dude in the big leagues, it was 2018 and the Royals were losing 100 games. Yeah. So I want him to go and have one last opportunity before he's out of his prime, which he's already getting out of because he's 33. I want to see that happen. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen, but I want to see it happen. Just for, him, for his sake. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'd cheer for that team, whatever he went to, and hope that they would pull it off. Exactly. Just so he gets a taste of it. Yeah. If nothing else, right? I don't know what team would want him. I don't know what team has a hole where he can go and fit, but yeah, could be something fun to follow. All right. So on the back half of this episode, Jared works for prospects live. So we're going to talk a lot about the, the MLB draft, which is coming up in about a month or so. And just kind of start to get you guys prepped for it a little bit on this side. We're going to hammer it a ton on Royals farm report, but wanted to talk about it on this show as well. Before we do that, uh, if you are looking for the best selection for Royals tickets, be sure to check out our friends at Tickets for Less. At ticketsforless.com, you'll find the best selection of Royals tickets at the best prices, and you'll never pay outrageous per-ticket service fees like you do on other sites out there. Plus, use our exclusive partner code to save even more on your tickets. Simply use promo code KCSN22 at ticketsforless.com to save on any Royals ticket order. That's code again. That code again is KCSN22. Memories for life start at ticketsforless.com. All right, Jared. So, like I said, the MLB draft coming up here, coming up here, uh, I believe it's July 17th is the first round. And I want to start to get Royals fans prepped for this. The Royals pick in the ninth overall pick. There are so many different strategies to the MLB draft, it is entirely different from the NFL draft. And I want people to understand that. And that's why I want to talk about this specifically on the big league show for people that may not follow them, the minor league system as much. If you've watched Kent and Craig and Maddie with the MO, the NFL draft coverage and the, and the KCSN draft guide and all that, it's a completely different animal in the, in the MLB side, because you're not drafting guys that are going to be on your team right now. You're drafting guys that are going to be on your team in two or three years from now. You're not necessarily drafting for need. You're drafting the best player available or the best player available at the value there, there's so many different ways to it that I hope that I can kind of hammer this home. What what are some of your draft strategies you think the Royals – what do you think the Royals should do, I guess is the best way to put it. Where would you go if you were Dayton Moore with the ninth pick? Yeah. Not necessarily so, player, but like your process. Yeah. So I think for me, it's just looking at the, the way the Royals have drafted in the past, it's been a lot of arms. So, like, you look at the Brady Singer draft where you had Brady Singer, Jackson Coward, Jonathan Bolin. The list goes on in terms of arms. And then last year's draft as well where they got Masakato and Ben Kudra in the first two picks. Uh, I want to see them go with a bat this time. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be nice to see a college bat that's a little bit more polished um, just because if the Royals windows technically in the next three to four years, you're going to want a college bat that's going to be quick and making it to the big leagues. 
Um, cause it's not like they have the, the one, one or the one, two, where they can get a Bobby Witt jr. Uh, one nine, they're probably going to fall to someone like a Jace Jung or a, a Gavin cross. Um, which not saying that they can't pan out to be dissimilar in talent wise to Bobby Witt jr. But you're still missing out on like the top tier guy at the one, two, three slot. Um, so I'd love to see him go with a bat like Gavin Cross from Virginia Tech. That guy is just unbelievable in terms of on the offensive side. He's got above average tools in terms of everything you want to see at the plate. Um, and he's just a guy that you know he's going to come in the organization. He's going to probably rake. And so he's a guy who can make a fast ascent to the big leagues. Yeah, I think going bat in this draft is a must for the Royals. Yeah. The guys that are your best hitters in the organization are going to graduate from prospect status within the next year. In Vinny and Prado, MJ's about to graduate. Uh, Michael Massey, Nick Lofton are about to get to the upper minors. So you need to start filling the lower minors with guys that can legitimately hit. Guy uh, Carter Jensen's one of the better. Eric Pena, they're all struggling in low mm-hmm. A. The, a lot of the high A guys are starting to struggle offensively. So it's really the double A, triple A guys that are hitting the most, and they're about to graduate from prospect status in some capacity soon. So getting a injecting a high level college hitter into this organization uh, come July, I think it could have huge benefits, and it's a guy that can probably move quickly too. Yeah, that's what the Royals really need is a guy that can come in and go get there uh, by hopefully twenty twenty four at the latest. You know, maybe twenty twenty five if you know there's you know an injury or something like that. But within the next three years, I think you need to have this guy in the big leagues as a surefire dude. And there are so many different ways they can go with that. And one of the approaches that you see a lot, you see it from small market teams, but you see it from other teams. And this is where the MLB draft differs from the NFL draft. So for people that don't know, and I hope I explained this as correctly as I possibly can, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but every team has the same amount of money that they can spend on their first 10 picks. Is it first eight or 10 since they moved the draft down? Yeah, uh, I think it's, I can't remember. I think it's the first 10 maybe, but yeah, I want to say it's the first 10 picks, but every team has the same amount of money. You can allocate that money however you want. And all of those first 10 picks has a slot value to it to that is the value of your pick. So I don't know what the the slot values are for every pick, but say the Royals draft pick is worth at nine, $3 million just for, for ease of use. We'll just go with a round number there. The Royals can draft somebody and if they want to take them at that slot value, then cool. Or if it's a really high-end guy that falls to them that they want to make sure that they can sign and give him $3.3 million, they can do that. Or they can do what they did last year and under <clears throat> slot to save money for future rounds and take a, you know, a guy that would still maybe go in the first round. Like Frank Mazzucato was a first-round pick, but yeah. he wasn't going to go until probably the 20s. The Royals take him at 9 to go, hey, dude, you're going to get more, even if we pay you $2.5 million, we're going to give you way more money than you would get at 27. So come into our organization, take that money, and then the Royals are able to spend and go and get Ben Kuderna away from LSU and Carter Jensen away from LSU and pay up for those second-round picks. And I think, and there's a stigma that I've seen on social media quite a bit about Royals fans thinking that underslotting is just the Royals being cheap and the Roy- and teams that are just crying poor and they don't want to go and spend on the best player. Because the MLB draft is so different, you're these guys are you're not signing these guys to come in and be a part of your team right now. So it's just a different allocation of resources. All teams are going to spend the same amount of money on their picks. It's just a matter of where they decide to do it. And finding guys, finding gems in later rounds, 
and going and spending money to go and get that kid for out of, you know, that's to try and steal them away from a power five program, because you're not gonna be able to spend, go and get Ben Kuderna in 2024. You're, yeah. you're probably not because he would probably go and make, be worth six and a half, $7 million and not the three and a half or four that the Royals paid him. So that's, that's the game that you're playing. It's just so different. And so I want people to hammer home. Like this is not the Royals being cheap. If they go under slot at nine, this yeah. is not the Royals crying poor at nine. This is not the Royals taking a bad player at nine. It's just a different allocation of resources to go and try and get a, you know, a really good player in the second or fourth round that you may have to pay up for a little bit to get them into your organization. Yeah. I mean, they did the same thing when they took Hunter Dozier and then took Shamanaya, like the pick right after. They yes. paid Shamanaya more money. And so they, it was a, kind of one of those things where they're like, okay, we project this guy is going to be a major leaguer. We can take him at 115 or whatever their pick was that year. Then we can take Manaya later, who was projected to be like a top 10 pick, but got injured. Um, and so they were able to sign him for more money. I mean, <laughs> if the Royals want to keep making LSU mad, they can go and take Justin Crawford at one nine and then have coach head coach Jay Johnson hate him for the rest of their lives. Cause he's taken Gudrina Cotter Jensen. And then it would be Justin Crawford. who's another LSU commit. Crawford's just a guy. He's a high school bat uh, out of Las Vegas and he's the son of Carl Crawford. Uh, he's wild. Just, yeah. Like, that, that's still like, every time I say it is wild. Cause it makes me feel I old. Love, I love Carl Crawford mm-hmm. playing when he, well, especially when he was with the, the, at the time, the devil rays. Yeah. God, he was so much fun. Yeah. And his son has got, elite tools i mean you're it's a lot of projection there because he's a high school kid but he's got all these elite tools i think he's fallen a lot in rankings around the 30s and 40s but there's a lot of talks that teams are looking at him in the top 15 because they think they can sign up for under slot but still give him enough money in order to get him to decommit or not decommit but not fulfill his commitment to lsu so if that's a guy that the royals think that's a high high-end bat that they can get um he's one another lsu guy jacob berry who's currently there he's a college bat that just doesn't have a position. He's one of those guys where defensively you just don't know where he's going to play, but he absolutely rakes. And so he's another guy the Royals could technically take at one nine and sign for underslot too. I don't think Barry would be an underslot guy. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he would be. I think you'd be full slot, if not even maybe yeah. a little over. And you mm-hmm. have to do just say, like, he's a guy you could legitimately put in your lineup in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. He's he rakes. that good. He, the hit tool is that good. The power comes with it. He is, yeah, like the, the, a liability defensively. I'll just call a spade a spade. Yeah. Like they've tried putting him at third. Like It's almost like Hunter Dozier in a way. But this guy's a much more polished hitter, a very good approach, great bat-to-ball skills, nutty batted ball data. Yeah. That if, the, if he is there at nine, that's certainly going to be at the top of my board of wh- who I want the Royals to take. If they want to go under slot, Justin Crawford's a good option. Mm-hmm. And I'm strictly sticking with bats here because I think that's where the Royals should go. I got a name that Alex brought up, and I think a name that is super interesting is Drew Gilbert from Tennessee. Yeah. Yep. He hits the ball hard, plays a solid center field, has a chance to stick in center field, good speed, just a good, like, toolsy ball player. Nothing that's super flashy, but just a really good player. And a guy that the Royal, and you'll see a common theme with so the guys that I want the Royals to take is a center, like a center fielder or a, a dude that can play center field. And I know that I, you know, it's a little contradictory when I talked about going into this conversation that you don't necessarily draft for need, but the Royals don't really have a center field prospect. That's any good or a guy that's, that can stick in the big leagues. I think Nick Lofton is certainly intriguing as a, a center field prospect, but I don't know if he's an everyday center fielder in the big leagues. So that's what you need to draft 
so that hopefully by 2024 you have your everyday center fielder. Yeah, and because it, it's you look at a guy like Justin Crawford, he at least projects that he could be in center field. I think Jordan Beck from Tennessee is another one that does project to be a potential center fielder. So you, you think about the the needs in the future if Michael A. Taylor is not sticking around with the Royals, um, if Andrew Benatendi's on his way out, and Kyle Isbell's moving himself to left field. You, you're going to need a center fielder. And then they're trying to do that, like you said, the process with Nick Lofton. And still questions on whether that pans out. He's looked decent defensively out there. But if you want like a stud center fielder, Justin Crawford's probably the guy that has the potential to really fill those shoes. I, I would actually love Nick Lofton to be an everyday big leaguer in yeah. a Merrifield role. Like you play him at second, you can play him at short yeah. if you want to move Bobby to third. You can play him in right, you can play him in center in like the AL East kind of in the same mold as a Kyle Isbell. Like, I don't think they're spectacular athletes, but they're good athletes that can play center field and just move him around and let him be your super utility guy. I think Nick Lofton yeah. has a ton of value with that because he's going to hit enough to play every day. That would be the, the mold that I go. Other guys that I love, at least early on, and you'll be able to find all of this. We are doing a Royal Farm Report draft guide uh, that'll be coming out, I believe, at the end of June, beginning of July, a couple weeks ahead of the draft. Uh, with I believe it's like 75 or 100 prospect evals. Yeah. Jared's doing it. I'm doing it uh, along with Drew Osborne, Alex, and a couple others. We have a ton of names uh, to go through. So it'll be a lot of fun. Be sure to check that out. We'll promo that a little more as it comes closer. But it, it kind of sticks along a common theme. I would love Gavin Cross. He's the center fielder for Virginia Tech. The ass kicking chickens are trying to make their first Omaha uh, run there and get to the College World Series. He's a good enough athlete to stick in center field. He's not elite athlete, but he's really solid. Absolutely stupid batted ball data. Hits the ball so hard. Has gotten into a lot of power. He's cut the strikeouts this year. He's walking more. Uh, that was kind of the bugaboo last year. Was mm -hmm. striking out a lot, not walking. That seems to have, have worked itself out there in his junior year. He would be someone I would love. He's fallen a lot because of the broken foot, but chased a lot out of James Madison. Yeah, he, He's Kyle Tucker. And if you know what he's done for the Houston Astros the last couple of years, I mean, that you get that guy to play center field for you in Kansas City, I'd absolutely love it. I know the injury has turned some people off to him. I know the swing is a little funky and people don't love it, but that's exactly what Kyle Tucker was coming out. Was a, a funky swing, a, a solid mm -hmm. athlete. No one really know what to do with him, but he's got a ton of speed. He's got a ton of athleticism. He's 6'4", 220 or something like that big dude that can go run and get it and can get to a lot of power and hits lefties fairly well too as a, as a lefty bat. Another guy that we talked a little bit about on Royals Farm Report uh, with uh, Ben Badler, Alex and Josh talking about Cam Collier out of Triple Junior College, uh, who is who should have been going to his high school prom, but instead graduated early, reclassified, went to junior college, and I believe he hasn't even turned 18 yet. And now he, after a great year at Chipola Junior College, is tearing up the Cape Cod League. If you like the the mold that we talked about with him is Ben Badler said Rafael Devers, and I about fell out of my chair. But like a Mike Musakis, yeah, I think is a, for Royals fans like that's the type of dude you're getting in Cam Collier with a little more hit and not as much strikeout. It's the same type of solid defender at third, nothing flashy, but just good, bigger body third baseman that can hold it down, get to a lot of power with a solid hit tool. I, if he is there at nine, even if you still have Jace Young or a Gavin Cross, I would probably go with Cam Collier. To be yeah. Honest. Yeah. And it's hard because it's like it, you have to hope these guys fall to at one nine. So it's like 
great to talk about Jace Jung and Gavin Cross. Like, but are those two guys going to fall? I think there's a better, there could be a better chance that Cam Collier falls there and you could take the risk. But like you said, what he's doing in the Cape now, he's probably rising his draft stock. So you're just wondering if he's even going to make it down to you at one nine. I think what was it? The prospects live mock had him at seven. I yeah. believe in the last one. Yeah. So like, that would be him falling just a little bit. Jace Young is a dude that I think might still be there at nine. I know the hit tool is dumb and is, you know, the pedigree from his brother, he's a second base only. So yeah. I think that even though the hit tools there, I think that will turn the Royals off because they value speed and defense and he's not going to provide that. I think that's my only thing with Jacob Barry as well is yes, the bat is fantastic, but because the Royals value defense, I don't know if that'll be the guy. Yeah. And I'm, I know- not, and I'm, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I know the Royals project, aren't Royals, the Brenno Prospects Live projected Jacob Barry at nine to the Royals. Because, um, like you said, though, the defensive issues, I think, might shy them away from taking him. They, he gets them the comp as a, a, another Billy Butler. So it's just like, yeah, great. He's going to mash, but where are you going to play him? Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing. But, God, that bat in the lineup would be dumb. And you pair him with Bobby. You get that yeah. young of a lineup with Bobby and MJ and Kyle and Nick and Vinny all in the lineup. Like you got some dudes that are just going to rake. And, I mean, that's your, what, your two, three, four, five, six right yeah. there? Yep. Yeah, and it's like, it. I guess the positive about the 1-9 pick is there's a lot of options that are probably going to be out there. Yes. So, uh, I mean, if you, you see Cross or Jung go off the board before 1-9 and you see maybe Collier go off the board before 1-9, there's still options out there that could potentially be really good for them. Yes, this is a very top-heavy draft when it comes to prep guys. Like the first three of the first four picks, or hell, the first four picks could all be prep guys in Jackson Holiday, Drew Jones, yep. Elijah Green, and Tamar Johnson. Yeah, I would not be shocked if those four are off the board before a college guy is. Yeah, I think I think Kevin Parada is probably going to be the first college guy, if I was mm-hmm. going to guess, to be going off the board. Yeah, um, just because he's just he just absolutely mashes, and it's hard to find a catcher like that that's going to do what he does. Um, so I think he will probably be, if anything, the first college guy. Is there anybody you're looking at, maybe in that comp round around 35, that intrigues you? I haven't dug down that far. I'm really kind of focusing on the first that that first pick, at least for right now, and kind of play the cards where they may after that. Yeah, the comp rounds are a little bit more difficult. Um, I think the Prospects Live had Carson Wisenhunt, who's the left-hander out of ECU, projected to go to them. Um, I mean, I, the question I, Mark, I have about the entire draft is Kumar Rocker and where he might go. Um, guy who was potentially going to be a top 15, or who was a top 15 pick, I think, believed by the Mets. Um, he was the, the ninth pick, and he was yeah. like surefire 1-1 until about the back half of that junior season for him last year. Yeah, and I believe he's sitting mid nineties now in his first and uh, he hit ninety nine. He was yeah. ninety. He was ninety five to ninety seven. Yeah, and so as a guy like that, does he all of a sudden increase his draft stock because he's thrown three innings in an independent league game? So will he fall to maybe that comp pick as well? And do the Royals take a shot at him? But that's going to be a big slot sign if they take him. I don't think the Royals would overslot that far for him because no. I think he'd probably. If I had to guess, he's probably going to go two million over slot. No matter like if he yeah. ends up falling that far, I would not shock. I would not be shocked if he's out before the first fifteen picks. Yeah, I agree. Especially uh, if he continues, to, if he maintains the velo for the next month. Yeah, I mean, I know like a lot of mock drafts have chased a lot or fallen into the low twenties, but 
I mean, if he fell down there to the low 20s somehow to the Royals in the early 30s, I, but I'd be shocked if he goes down there. Um, that would be Fitch- a scenario where I wish there were trade-ups in the MLB yeah. draft because I would go and trade up into the mid-20s for Chase DeLauder if he fell. Yeah. Um, a guy, Judd, Judd Fabian from Florida. Ooh, um, he might. I, yeah, he, he strikes out a lot. He's a guy who's mashes, but he does definitely does strike out. But he's uh, so good defensively. That's a very, very good pick. defensively. Yeah. In I center field, too. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think the Red Sox took him last draft. Um, so I think there's a lot of projection that the Red Sox might try to take him late. Um, but he's a guy who could potentially follow the Royals down there. Um, so he's another one I'm looking at. Uh, the one that uh, Alex brought up in the 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 kind of underslot uh, picks, yeah. I, I don't know how to say his last name, but Andrew Dukanich from Indiana, the yeah. right-handed pitcher. He's another guy. He's, I think, the best prep pitcher out of Indiana. I think the last two were both Royals picks that came out of Indiana as well. Um, so the the last best arms out of Indiana were both Royals uh, picks as well. So he's another guy who could potentially go there. The good news is the Royals have a lot of options they can go to uh, in some of these uh, in some of these rounds. I'm intrigued by a couple of guys. Uh, if Justin Campbell from Oklahoma State, obviously I have some bias there, but. Uh, He's a guy that would be kind of fun to have in the the system. I think he's a surefire big league pitcher and nothing flashy about what he does, but he uses every bit of his six, seven frame to get it up there. I think there's still some more velo in there. He's mainly been 90 to 93, but a really good feel for a curveball and a changeup. So the pitchability is really nice. And I think his fastball shape is really good, which is something the Royals don't have a ton of. And he, he makes, even at 90, he makes his fastball like it's 96 because he's six seven and his extension has been uh, measured up to like seven three when he's pitching. So he gets on a hitter a lot faster. So he's still able to get it at the top of the zone even without a ton of spin. Is is the second round too high for Ivan Melendez? Hey, yeah. I mean, it's it could be a little bit. Uh, I think about the second round. He's probably projected to go around seven the seventies. Um, yeah. so I don't know what the Royals second round pick number is, uh, but I think it's a little I, bit past, uh, the 30 pick, right? I, I know like, he's like a first base only type. Like I, I yeah. get it, but don't overthink the bat. Yeah. Like the, the, he's the Hispanic Titanic for a reason. The dude hits absolute moon bombs. Yeah. And I mean, he'd be fun. I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't think the Royals are going to take another first base only type, but I don't, I, his batted ball data is another guy that's just ridiculous ridiculous and the power i think is certainly going to translate to a wood bat moving in from college yeah and another guy too that might be interesting when we think about virginia tech and all the the bats that they have that right there is tanner scoble the shortstop that runs out of there i think he's projected in somewhere in the 60s but if they wanted to take a guy um a little bit higher than that uh he's just got he's just got a package worth of uh tools that are compact and on the dirt and at the plate too. So he's just a guy who's going to be great defensively. He's going to be great offensively. Um, and he's just got an all around package that might be interesting to take as a college bat late uh, into the second round or um, early into the second round. Feels like a Royals type of guy just from the, <laughs> you just described him there. Yeah. So that would be, that would be interesting for sure. Like I said, the Royals have a ton of options. It'll be a lot of fun to follow. The MLB draft is always kind of a fascinating time. And over at Rolls Farm Pro, we're going to have you guys locked in on that, uh, especially over the next few weeks. Uh, not necessarily on this week's episode. Alex is going off the grid on vacation, so it'll be just Josh and I. And we'll have a good time. And then as once Alex gets back, we'll really get going on it. A uh, couple questions before I get you out of here. Um, what would your walk-up song be 
if you had taken a bat at the K? Man, I thought about this for many years because I just didn't make it past high school. And I was like, Same. what would it be? <laughs> yeah. What would it be like to have a walkout song? Um, uh, there's a, I mean, I feel like the, the natural one is like down with the sickness would be a sweet walkout song. <laughs> that, would, that would get everybody pumped up. But the yeah. problem is I would get the pitcher pumped up too. And I don't know how well that would work. Yeah. That's the first one that came to my head for some reason. Hey, I don't to each their own. I think that's, that's <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, I'm, I like that. And then it's, so you obviously follow baseball at large as well outside of just the Royals. Have you had like a take coming into this season? That's kind of been realized that you feel pretty good about across anybody in baseball. Hmm. I take that. I've realized that's just kind of come across in baseball outside of the Royals. Well, I guess like something that you've had coming into the year, like a prediction or a take about a certain player that's kind of worked out so far. Yeah. I mean, one, well, I can think of one take from last year was Freddie Peralta um, from the Brewers. I know that's not this year, but last year I was on him as a starter. And the next thing nasty. I know, he just exploded and he was nasty. He was the first one that comes to mind. Trying to think of this year, there's guys that I've really just kind of been on, and then all of a sudden they took off. Uh, I think Michael Lorenzen was one that I was really high on. He's been good. He's been good. He got kind of crushed in his last start, but overall, like for this, the amount of money that the Angels signed him for, they got to be happy with the results so far. So he's oh, another yeah. one that I've really been like, okay, yeah, he's kind of panned out, even though he didn't uh, do anything on the offensive side. And there was talks that he was going to try to be a two way guy when he went to the Angels, but then decided to strictly focus on pitching, and it's worked out so far. Yeah, that's a that rotation's actually like good. I hope the Angels start winning again, man. Like yeah. they're in a they're in a 14 gamer, I think, right now. 14 game losing streak. Like, yeah, we we still need Trout and Otani in, in October. I hope they get it turned around. Yeah. The like coming into the year, I was really big on Sandy Alcantara mm. from the Marlins. I actually put in, I I got him at plus four thousand for Cy Young. <laughs> And that could pan out really well for you. It, certainly, right? <laughs> one set, one six ERA through nine shutty. Uh, yeah. wasn't a wasn't a complete game shutout because it was nothing, nothing after nine innings. But uh, the strikeout numbers going for him, he leads baseball in innings pitched right now, not giving up a ton of hits. So I'm feeling really good that I'm going to get a, a pretty good chunk of change out of a Sandy Alcantara winning the Cy Young right now. Love that. Now the problem is sports betting isn't legal in Kansas yet. It is. <laughs> I think on July 1st, it is. So I'm going to have to go to Vegas to cash that ticket, but yeah, that'd be worth it. My dad's already said like, Hey, if you, if that one works, then we're going to Vegas. That's a nice little bet right there. Oh yeah. That was because I just told my, my folks had gone to Vegas for, uh, for a little weekend trip. And I was like, Hey, Hey, I have three bets here. Help, help me out. So I had to put in for Bobby rookie of the year i put i got wander franco at plus 1800 for mvp <laughs> i was like wow oh, that's a good value pick why not yeah. and, then, and then i was like i'll get you know, go and throw an alcantara i'd seen him at like plus two twenty two hundred plus wherever my dad went plus four thousand i was like uh that's gonna work out nicely yeah that's real nice <laughs> so that that one felt pretty good i feel pretty vindicated in that right now i hope that sticks Jared, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Be sure to read all of Jared's work over at Major League University Prospects Live or else Farm Report does does a lot of it. He's as plugged into baseball as anybody I know. So thanks for coming on. We'll we'll do it again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was going to hopefully leave this on a positive note, saying the Royals were up four and one on an NJ Melendez home run, but the Orioles have come back and tied it. So well, of we're course up they four did. and four. Of course they did. <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully that it's better. Uh, hopefully things are a little bit better next week. We'll talk to you all soon.